Ephesians chapter 6, of course, continuing this study uh, through the book of Ephesians, today we're just going to dig right into it in verse 10. And Paul says it here, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now the finally is, is really, it's bringing us to the beginning of the end of this letter. Now this letter that is, that is so profound this letter that gives us all the instruction that there is, you know, all, these, all this great instruction for Christian living, for being a light in a dark world, Christian living and how we encounter one another in the church and, and, and Christian living in, in just going back to the basics, the doctrine of salvation and understanding our identity and walking with Jesus, and walking in oneness with Christ, and with the body of Christ, and walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom, being filled with the Holy Spirit, godly marriage, godly family, and godly everyday living. These are some of the truths and the foundations that we have set for ourselves throughout this study on Christian living. And it's so important that we have solid foundation and we build upon these things and so Paul says okay now finally a conclusion here shifting gears here in this letter finally my brethren a reminder too that this is a word to the church my brethren he says those who are in Christ and that's what we are reminded of throughout this letter this is a letter to the church Finally, my brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, now based on all these building blocks that we've studied throughout the, the book of Ephesians, now Paul is saying, finally, be strong. Based on all these things, he's, he hasn't just showed up, shown up and said, here's a letter, be strong, have a nice day. And they're like, what does that mean? How do I do that? Well, he's prepared the way. He's written throughout this letter how we are to live out our Christian lives in honor to God and walking with God. And now he says, be strong. There's an emphasis here on this to mature. It's important that we mature in our faith. We need to be strong in the Lord, right? And so we take all of those building blocks and we're challenged to grow. We're challenged to mature in our faith. And the charge is here to do exactly that. Be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in your education. That's not what Paul says. Don't be strong in your line of work. And now he, he already challenged us to, hey, if you're working, you've got to work unto the Lord. In your marriage, in your family, in all these things, you've got to do it unto the Lord. That is the essential. That, that's already been addressed. But now he's saying, be strong in the Lord. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature in our faith. We need not just to become strong in faith, but to continually be strengthened in the Lord. That's what the translation would indicate here. It's continual not just, hey, one and done, be strong, and once you're strong, then you're set. I don't know of any professional athlete that lives by that standard. Hey, you're strong enough, just go out there and compete. No, 
Their lives are dedicated to being strong, right? It's football season. We'll talk about football players for a moment. I was just talking the other day with somebody. Isn't it amazing how these offensive and defensive linemen are, are as big as a, a truck for their, for their whole career, and they can run faster than any of us at the same time, right? And, and so here, they're, they're as big as a truck their whole career. They retire, and then they get all slim and, and, and slim down because why? Their whole career, they've been living for that position, right? A, a, a center, an offensive center. He's snapping the ball, and then his job is to get in the way and prevent the defense from getting to the quarterback. And he spends his whole career eating millions of calories, okay, and working out every day so that he could be as big as a truck. He doesn't want to be small. He's got to stand strong. If he gets pushed over, they got a direct line to the quarterback. Now that, but that being strong is a continual strengthening. It's strength training, strength training in the Lord. And let me say, some, some of you have been Christians for many, many years, but you forgot to go through your strength training. Maybe you're still very weak in your faith because you haven't been going through your strength training. To be strong in the Lord is to continue in that. Maybe you haven't been working out. Paul says in Philippians to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now this lines up well with the passage here on spiritual warfare. We work out our salvation in the fear of God and with trembling that you know what? There's a real battle going on and if I don't take my walk with Jesus seriously, I am going to be miserable. I'm going to constantly be attacked by the enemy. I'm going to constantly be down in the dumps. I've got to take it seriously. I've got to go through that working out. And now listen, strength in the Lord comes from the Lord. This isn't our strength. This isn't something that we do. And like, all right, let me get my Bible out and start pumping some iron, right? That's going to build up some physical strength, sure. But we need to be strengthened in the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says this, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because, of, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Now, this is a miserable situation, and David is distressed. He's carrying the weight, the burden of all the people who are angry at him and want to stone him, and he's the leader. And now here, what does it say? But David strengthened himself and the Lord his God. David didn't put together some defense. David didn't put together a, a, a plan of, to return an attack of some sort against the people who were thinking about and talking about stoning him. No, he strengthened himself in the Lord because the problem was that he wasn't strong in the Lord in that moment. And whenever we're facing such attacks, such difficulties, such trials in life, 
we can be reminded of that. What do I need to do? I need to strengthen myself in the Lord because strength, real strength, comes from the Lord. David's learning to lean on the strength of God rather than on his own strength. And that's such an important word of encouragement from Paul. To be strong in the Lord, to be strengthened in the Lord is to admit that we don't have strength within ourselves. Before even digging deep here into spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter 6, we have to start with the fact that we need to be strengthened in the Lord, in our faith. As we walk with him, continue to be strengthened because we need it. Because we grow weary. And because there is an attack on us, we need strength to stand. We need strength because we're weary. We need strength because of the battle. And we're going to talk about putting on the armor of God. But before you even put on armor, Think of the military. Before anyone would go out and put on armor, what do they need to do? They gotta go through training. Basic training is step number one. And that's what it is to be strong in the Lord. Go through the basic training. And Paul has given basic training throughout the first five plus chapters of Ephesians. Here's your basic training. And now he says, continue to be strengthened. Continue to build up that strength before you can even put the armor on. We're not just going to send out people into battle with this armor on that can't even move because the armor's so heavy. Because it is a high calling to put on that armor, just as it's a high calling to be a representative of Jesus Christ as we bear the name of Christ in our marriages, in our homes, and in our workplaces. It's a high calling. It's a high calling to put on the armor of God. We need to, we need to go through this training to be strengthened in the Lord. We need to be trained for the armor so that we could be trained for the battle. Relying truly on the Lord for strength. Through that nearness, that closeness with him. Joshua chapter one, verse nine says, have I not commanded you? Be strong. Same words here used. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's a word for us there. To, hey, don't be afraid. When, you know, Paul's giving a great warning here in this passage, yes, but he's also in this is saying, hey, just like Joshua, don't be afraid. When, you, when we say be strong in the Lord, that means we don't have to be afraid. We have nothing to be afraid of because why? Just as with Joshua, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God promised to be with Joshua, therefore God's presence is the source of strength. The presence of God. You feel weak? You feel weary? You feel like you can't stand against all the attacks in the world? You feel like you can't even put on the armor that you're just gonna crumble under the pressure of the responsibility? Be strong in the Lord. Don't be afraid. And know 
that the source of strength is just to be near to God, his presence. That's what we need, guys, is his presence. When we are close to him, we experience so much, so many great things just in that nearness. I, I think of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, you guys probably know the story well. The Israel team was just there, right? Mount Carmel. And he faced down all the prophets of Baal. 450 that he was, he was facing down. And, and they had this little competition, right? And we say little. It was a massive competition. And eventually God showed up. All, Baal didn't show up. They called down to rain fire. and he, he, they, Nothing happened, of course. But Elijah calls out to God and he consumes not just all the, the sacrifice and not just all the water that was poured out everywhere, but he consumes the altar. This is what God does, right? Then Elijah slaughters the 450 plus another 400 that he went and hunted down. This is Elijah. Chapter 19, what happens? This lady, Jezebel, says, I'm coming for you. And he runs off to the wilderness. 850 prophets he slaughtered. In that moment, in that mountaintop experience of being near to God, he slaughtered them. Then she says, I'm coming for you. He runs away to the wilderness. But in this place, God was still near. Because God spoke to him in such a mighty way. And even through this, there was an earthquake, there was a fire, there was this wind, there was all these amazing things that we are oftentimes looking for, signs and wonders. But what, what does it say? That he spoke in a still, small voice. Out in that place, out in the wilderness, and he even said, God, it is enough. I can't handle it. But God is still near. And he was still relying upon the strength of God and he spoke to Elijah because he was near. That's the source of strength, guys, is closeness with the Lord. That's what we need is just intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's how we're strengthened. It's a very practical thing, but we dig into the word of God. We spend time dedicated to him in prayer. We set aside time and we keep it sacred because that's where strength comes from. Fellowship with God. God promised to Joshua to be near. And he hasn't left to demonstrate that God is still near, he gave his son Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And he already won the battle. We need to rely on his strength. So why do we need strength? To be ready for the battle. The battle is real and the battle is happening like it or not, it's happening. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's raising awareness to the reality. There's a battle going on. 
but to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We continue, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This begins to tell us how to be ready for the battle, to put on the whole armor. Before putting the armor, we have to go through strength training. Then he says, now you're ready. You've gone through the training, the basic training. You've strengthened yourselves in the Lord. You're continuing to strengthen yourselves in the Lord. Now put on the whole armor to be ready for the battle that is happening, whether we like it or not. We're not just putting on armor in case of the battle. Oh no, it might happen, so I'm gonna be ready just in case. We're putting on the armor because the battle is happening and it is real. We're not putting on the armor either because we're just looking to go start something with somebody. Sometimes that's how we treat things, right? That's how we treat each other. Paul's gonna address that as well. But we're putting on the armor because the battle's already happening. So there's encouragement, verse 10, be strong, be strengthened in the Lord, amen, yes. And now there's a warning. Beware. Prepare for the battle, for the wiles of the devil. We can rewind for a moment back to Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. It says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. That really was a precursor to this passage here in chapter 6. Paul gave a little, a little hint toward that. The days are evil, so put on the armor. And he says here to put on the whole armor. Don't just pick and choose certain pieces at certain times. Be equipped with the whole armor. Be fully ready and regularly ready. It's a daily reminder. Not just a one and done, put on the armor and now I'm armored up and ready to go but to be regularly putting on the armor, to be ready for the battle entirely, not letting down even a piece of our guard. It gives us indication how serious this battle is. Now, there's this regular preparation going on. Now, note that Paul wrote this letter while he was chained to a Roman soldier, right? There's this object lesson here, perhaps. Paul's sitting there looking at this guy in his armor, a Roman soldier who's always ready for the physical battle, and he's thinking, hey, I'm gonna write a letter. You know, that guy, he's been through basic training. He's been prepared to put on that armor, and all these pieces of the armor, how interesting. He's wearing this armor while chained to Paul because he's ready to go to battle. Whenever the time comes, he's ready to go. So now Paul thinking, hmm, you know what? We gotta train our, ourselves this way. We gotta train the church to be strong in the Lord. We gotta train the church to put on that type of spiritual armor. A soldier's armor, of course, is to protect them physically 
Spiritual armor is needed to protect us spiritually. But it's God who does it. God prepares us in basic training. God protects us with the armor. And listen, God provides all that we need. This is God's armor. It's not our armor. It's God's armor. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, if you're taking notes, says this, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. This is his armor. That's how serious God is about preparing us for the battle that's going on. He gives us his armor. Think about that. The Father who is in heaven says, I want to take care of you. I want to protect you. So here's my armor. And he doesn't need it because he already won. He already won the battle. He's like, hey, you take the armor. So he gives us his armor. He gives us his strength so that we can operate from a place of strength and power and victory because he already won the battle. But yet the enemy's still out there thinking he's got a chance. So the battle keeps coming, keeps coming, and keeps coming. We gotta armor up in his armor so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is a couple different descriptions of the devil. One is that he's the accuser of the brethren, constantly trying to condemn the people of God, bringing doubt into the minds of the people of God, the followers of Jesus Christ. Accusing the brethren so that we might feel condemnation. But Romans, Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Further, Peter talks about this, that the devil is our adversary. The adversary that opposes God, seeking to prevent us from walking in newness of life. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be sober be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Another translation says he's prowling. I like that word. He's prowling about. He's seeking for whom he may devour. He, he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He opposes us. He opposes God. He hates us. And we don't like that, do we? We don't like anybody hating us. But we need the strength of God. We need that armor because you know what? We can't handle the adversity. We don't like adversity. We don't like conflict. We run oftentimes. But we're told here to stand. And we're equipped to stand against the wiles. And this word for wiles is methodea, meaning deceptive strategies. That's what the wiles are. They are deceptive strategies of the devil. The devil is full of evil tricks. 
We don't know about them all. We can't see them. Sometimes we can recognize, right? We say, that, that's just the work of the devil. That's an attack from the devil, right? But we can't see them all. We don't know them all. We don't know all that's going on in the spiritual warfare realm. But God does. And he prepares us accordingly to what he knows, not what we know. That's why we need his strength and not our strength. That's why we need his armor and not our armor. Because on our strength, in our armor, we are going to collapse. We will be pierced. We can't overcome all these things in our strength, but God can and God already has. And he equips us to do it. The idea of the word wiles here, too, is that the devil's efforts are relentless. These wiles are constant. Just another reminder that we need to be constantly putting on the armor, preparing ourselves, and being strengthened in the Lord. We continue then in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul now explains the battle arena, right? We're, we're tr- we, we think so finite, but God is infinite. We think so earthly, but God is heavenly. And, and Paul started out with that idea in Ephesians, talking about spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, talking about what was going on before the foundation of the world, Right Outside of our time and space is all the work that God has done and is doing. And so there's a battle going on outside our time and space and also inside our time and space. But the battleground, the arena, is unseen, truly. We get so caught up in what we do see. We can't see, we don't know the attacks that are coming our way. The battle is not against flesh and blood. Our enemies are not people. We look around and we constantly get caught up in the flesh and blood battles. This is a total waste of time. I mean, it really truly is, and I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings if you got issues with somebody across the room or somebody in second service because you didn't want to run into them. It's a waste of time. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're on the same side. So listen, might sound a little harsh, get over it. Get over those things, guys. It is literally wasting our time, and, and actually it's making the devil's work easy. It's not flesh and blood, guys. It is not against flesh and blood. We saw this. We've seen it so much in society over the last couple of years especially. 
right? COVID was a dividing factor in the world, but in the church. And we get caught up in the flesh and blood battles, thinking we cannot possibly go and be within six feet of another person. But we need it. We need the church. We need each other. We need to be together. And Paul spent a whole chapter in in Ephesians 4 talking about how desperately the church needs each other and needs to walk forward in unity with each other. And now he's making it even more clear, guys, if we get caught up in division in the church and arguments in the church, we're wasting our time and we're letting the devil win. We're making his job super easy. He gets to sit back on the couch and have a good time. Truly laughing at us. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time being caught up in the battles against flesh and blood. And don't waste your strength. We're talking about our strength. We're talking about being strong in the Lord. Yet we waste all of our strength on the battles with each other sometimes. And you know what? Satan may use people, but people are not our enemy. He may use people to persecute us, to to lie to us, to cheat us, to harm us, to hurt us in any way. But people are not the enemy. The devil is the adversary, and the battleground is unseen. So now we know what we do not wrestle against. It's not each other. It's not flesh and blood. So what then do we wrestle against? It says here principalities. Simply put, this is the idea of leaders of darkness from the beginning. The idea of a third of the fallen angels. There is legions, right? There are many. And he'll go on even to say that there's hosts. There's many. Satan and his minions. The principalities, this is a spiritual battle going on. Further, he says there's powers. The word here for powers translates to delegates, delegated authority and the power to choose. It connects these two things. It's interesting. Using delegated authority to eliminate the power to choose. Satan is cunning and crafty and has influence over the worldly authority. And it's more and more all the time because the world is surrendering more and more authority to the devil, to the influence of the devil. And more and more people are giving up the power to choose. This is the spirit of bondage going all the way back to the bondage of Egypt, right, in Exodus. The Israelites first came into Egypt through Joseph. Joseph was, he was in charge. This is a good situation, but over 400 years, they gave up more and more, more and more, more and more into a place of bondage, surrendering more and more all the time. And this is what we do. That's a picture of us giving over to bondage. And that bondage is sin, truly.
but giving up the power to choose, giving up freedom. Paul even says we're not free to sin, we're free from sin. But we get it backwards so many times. We think, well, I'm free in Christ. I could do this. I can cross the line. Paul's like, are you really? Or are you just using that as a justification? Even in the last days, under the influence of the Antichrist, there will be no freedom. There's this one world currency, one world religion, one world government. No ability to buy, sell, or trade without a mark. Isn't it interesting the things that we've been facing in the last couple years? Collectively, as the whole world is facing the same thing, and and the potential, we're being primed to surrender our rights. But freedom is so important. Guys, bondage is the spirit of the Antichrist. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Further, he says, the, the rulers of darkness. This is who we're battling against. Now, again, it's not flesh and blood. So we might say, well, powers, it's the delegated government. No, it's the work of the devil in the delegated government. It's not the people, it's the devil. And the influence that he has in people. So all the more reason why we need to be on our knees praying, not just for deliverance, right? That's what we pray for. We're like, oh, Lord, we pray for the election that righteousness would reign. Righteousness does reign because Jesus is on the throne. It has nothing to do with the people who are in authority over us. And I get caught up. We all get caught up. We get frustrated. No, this is not fair. Or this needs to happen. You know what? We need to be on our knees. And if we truly believe in the God of revival, then we believe that perhaps those people who we think are making the most terrible decisions could actually be converted to faith. Why don't we pray for them? Pray for their salvation. Pray for repentance. But you see, it starts with us on our knees before the Lord and recognizing that the enemy is not people. It's the devil. Further, rulers of darkness, speaking of the devil and and his demons, all deployed in the deception in this world. Keeping people deceived. That's what we're talking about. The ruling over darkness is keeping people in the dark. That's the idea here. Keeping people deceived by false religion, false hope, false philosophy, false ideology, false theories. We think of many of the deceptive cults in the world that have tried to recreate a version of the gospel, taking little pieces and maybe thinking, all right, well, that's how people can be more deceived because it's similar. It's close to the truth, perhaps. Deceptive cults like Islam, Mormonism, Buddhism, deceptive philosophies and ideologies and theories like evolution, Communism, humanism, transgenderism, 
and all that goes with it. This is the reality of the battle that's going on. This is the fruit of the devil. These are soul-destroying, family-destroying, and society-destroying. And the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what we're talking about here with, with these rulers of darkness or the ruling over darkness is trying to keep people in the dark through deception. Deception is very gray. It's not black and white. It's easy to be deceived. But listen, guys, wage your warfare in the power of the Holy Spirit. That brings us back to what really turned the tide of this letter when Paul says, be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is all part of it. Wage your warfare in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Satan honestly is not afraid of our strength, but he is terrified at the strength of God. He is terrified at the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. Further, Paul writes here that is, uh, uh, we're wrestling against the spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places, which really is taking all of this and collecting it together. All of it collectively, speaking of the hosts even, right? The host, it says here in, in verse 12, this, uh, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There are many in the army. Regardless of the type of attack, there are many. There's many types of attacks, and there are many in the army. From the beginning and continuing. And what it speaks of here is that these are organized and dangerous masses of attackers against the church, not against the world. He's just trying to keep the world in darkness, keep them all deceived and keep them in darkness. But there's attack against the people of God specifically. The battle is much more real for those who are walking with Jesus. And that may sound scary, right? That's not the intent here today. Paul gives a, a massive warning here. Beware. Yes, we are to beware, and we are to stand strong. And it sounds scary to think, man, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of evil out there. There's a lot going on. Even the things that I can't see, that scares me. It doesn't have to. Because we battle from a place of victory. We battle from a place of the strength of God. And we are to be aware and prepared, not terrified. Reminding us again of Joshua chapter 1. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Don't be torn up, don't be terrified by the battle. And Joshua was about to go into an impossible battle. 
And how many times throughout the Bible we can see people going into impossible situations and somehow coming out victorious? Because the people of God battle from a place of victory, of strength, God's strength, God's victory. So we don't have to be terrified. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be scared and think, oh, no. This is, this is the most terrifying message I've ever, the passage I've ever read in the scripture. I'm afraid. And sometimes we can get caught up because we give too much attention to the power of the enemy. We are to give certain attention, but we can't get carried away. We can't give too much credit, right? But we can be encouraged. God has given us everything we need for battle. Not to just make it out alive but to win because he's already won. Jesus said it to telestai. It is finished. He didn't say, I still got some more work to do so I could help you guys. It was finished. And even in that, the devil thought he had some victory. Three days later, what happened, right? It was proven. He's wrong. Jesus demonstrated the victory in the resurrection, which is the foundation of our faith, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's what we stand in. We stand, we can stand, and we can be confident in saying that it is finished. He won. And he says here, put on my armor. Keep putting it on. Do it again. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be strong in the Lord and stand in the power of his might because the devil has got nothing on Jesus. And it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Truly, guys, there's nothing that we have to offer in this scenario except surrender to Jesus Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's allowing him to do the work. And we need him. We need that strength. So we are to continue in that strength, in his strength, not our own. Trusting in Jesus. And that's truly where I want to just conclude here. And we'll close and I'll ask the worship team to come on up. But it really brings us all back to the gospel. It brings us back to this victory in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus said, it is finished. That, that Jesus died out of this great love. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus rose from the dead. And so I want to give you an opportunity today. I want to give you an invitation today. 
to put your trust in Jesus and to win. To recognize that Jesus has won. Jesus said it is finished. The work of salvation was complete. And so I invite you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you put your trust in him today to recognize that he does love you so much and he died on the cross for your sins and he, he desires a relationship with you. He desires to give you a new life So would you give your heart to him? I'm gonna ask everybody, would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. And if there's any in the room today or maybe you're even watching online right now and you haven't yet given your heart to Jesus, I invite you to do that. And if you'd like to do that, I'm just gonna lead you in a simple prayer. You can say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I believe in you. I believe that you're the son of God. That you died on the cross for my sins. That you rose from the dead. I put my trust in you. Would you come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior? In Jesus' name, amen.